Blog Talk Radio. Kingway sucks beer, Locker's acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very hot. Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wet, Chekhov's wearing red. Cedar's cat, Kempex hat, Q is had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Hey, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. I'm your most host, most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and we have a great show planned for you guys tonight. Way, way back in the day when I first started this podcast, we always had a Star Trek Attack Wing segment. We had lots of ships, lots of stuff to talk about, packs in a shipyard. It was just crazy. Well, Star Trek Attack Wing hasn't been around for quite a few years now. Well, at least a year, maybe two. Uh, well, it's back. And Star Trek Attack Wing has a brand new cooperative game called Alliance, the Dominion War Campaign. And joining us live tonight will be Eric Severs from Da Vinci's Quatch and also game designer Josh Dirks. And if you have any questions, you want to give us a call at 646-668-2433. Questions, comments about Attack Wing, about expansion packs, um, comments about the game, anything, just give us a call. I'm holding in my hand right here, I have a Star Trek Attack Wing USS Excelsior ship pack. And I want to give it to you. That's right. I want to give it to you. But you have to call 646-668-2433 in order to get your hands on it. And what we're going to do is everybody that gives us a call is going to go into a pool, and at the end of the show, we're going to pick someone, and that lucky person is going to win this Excelsior expansion pack. And the great thing about it is the Excelsior is used in the Dominion War campaign, so that would give you two Excelsiors that you could use in your Dominion War campaign. All you have to do is call 646-668-2433 and have a question ready for either Josh or Eric. So with me as usual are my truck experts. We'll start off with Eric. Eric is out in Portland. How you doing, Eric? Oh, man, I am doing great. It is an absolutely beautiful spring day here in Portland. Everybody is outside throwing the Frisbee around, staying socially distant, careful, but... Uh, but, man, it is so nice outside. I am super excited to have this kind of weather already this time of year. And I am so excited to be talking about Attack Wing for the first time in I can't remember how long, Jim. It's been a while. It's overdue. We also have with us Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing, Charles? I'm doing good. We got some definitely socially distant weather today. It's cold. It's chilly. And... I think Eric calls it rain coming out of the sky. I don't know. I haven't seen a whole lot of it in a while, but we're definitely getting a good dose of it. Definitely getting a dose of it this afternoon. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, it was 66 here in Vermont and beautiful. We had the windows open well, and T-shirts. It was gorgeous. So uh, let me see if 
Uh, uh, Neat. Any of our? Yeah, it's warmer. Uh, you've got warmer temperature than we do. It's fifty right now here. Wow. Oh, it's gorgeous here. So let me see if we have our guest with us. Josh, can you hear me? Josh, are you there? Okay, I'm gonna have to work on Josh. Let me scroll down here and see if Eric. Eric, can you hear us yet? Yes, I called in. Can you guys hear me? Hey, Eric. Okay, that's Eric. All right, we got. Yeah, Eric I called. Anyways. Yeah, I, I called on my on phone. Josh. My uh, my friend's working on the computer right now. All right, I got it. I got well, to hold of Josh. So what we're gonna do, guys, is I'm going to uh, turn the show over right now to Eric. He's gonna go around the globe and. Uh, Start some fan shout-outs here real quick. And I'm going to try to get a hold of Josh and try to get him hooked up. So, Eric, take over for a couple minutes while I try to work with Josh, okay? All right, you bet. Well, as always, guys, about three-quarters of our listeners come from the United States of America, where we broadcast from. But in that number one spot for our international listeners this week, we have Hold and Steady from last week, the U.K., with 5.05% of our listeners. So that's a pretty good chunk there. Uh, and it's been multiple weeks that they've been above 5%. So that's kind of a, a nice little boost that we haven't seen for a while. In our number two spot, we have Australia with 3.98% of our listeners, exactly where they were last week. And uh, we always appreciate the folks down under listening to us. In our number three international spot, we have our brothers and sisters to the north, Canada, with 0.05% of our listeners in the number four spot. Still in that top five, uh, came out of nowhere several months ago, and somehow they're holding on. Norway, 2.66% of our listeners. Can you believe that? Thank you, folks in Norway. And holding steady from last week in that number five spot is Spain with 1.15% of our listeners. So thank you very, very much to all of our listeners, domestic and international. We appreciate every single one of you. And uh, it's just a real treat to share our love of Trek with all of you. Now, we're going to assume that Jim is still working on getting Josh connected, so we are going to move right into our fan shout-outs. You ready, Charles? I sure am. All right. Uh, our number one fan shout-out this week goes to Nikki Nowak from Nuremberg, Germany. Uh, Nikki's one of those folks who listens to us from Germany, and Germany doesn't often make it into our top five, but we get lots of shout-outs from them, so thank you so much for listening to us, Nikki Nowak. We're also saying hello and a big kapla to Gordon Dakin from Massachusetts in the United States of America. He's a, he's the hail from Massachusetts out there, Gordon, and uh, it's beautiful out there, especially in the fall time. Thank you so much for listening to us. Top fan Phil Kisafin Dunn is listening to us today from Lincoln, Nebraska, here in the United States. Thank you, Phil, so much for listening. Bill Campbell. From Melbourne, Australia. That's right. One of those folks in our number two international spot listening to us today. Thank you, Bill. And my last shout out this week goes to Diogo Linder from Puerto Alegre in Brazil. Wow, that's so cool. <coughs> South America. Charles, who's on your list this week? Well, we're going to start off with James Stocking in southern Idaho in the USA. Gene Mitchell. Belvedu from Ottawa, Canada. Mark Anthony Kramer from Brisbane, Australia. We have top fan Ray Jackson from Long Ridge in Lancaster, England. 
and Ross Martell. Greetings from Devon, UK. And I think I'll keep it going with Joy Cranker from Syracuse Lake, New York. I wonder if Jim or Leslie knows that person. Possible. Actually, I, I do. Michael. I do know Joy. Do you know Joy? I do. <laughs> I do know Joy. She called the show a couple of times. I want to give her a special shout out. And we do have Josh with us, so we're going to go back to our normally regular scheduled programming. I'd also like to say hello and thank you to listening to Michael Langdon from Queensland, Australia. Top fan Eric Donnelly from Michigan. Top fan Randolph Croom from Columbia, Georgia. And last but not least, we'd like to say thank you to listening and a hearty kapla to Martha Enriquez Emanuelson from Monterrey, Mexico. Thanks for listening, guys. We couldn't do this show without you. And now we're going to do some Star Trek birthdays. was not a Klingon song. And as usual, we start off remembering those Star Trek members of our family that are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Eric, who do we have to remember this week? Yeah, our first remembrance this week goes out to actor Bred Weston, who played the character Ed Apple in the TOS episode Devil in the Dark, uh, one that I definitely remember seeing many times as a kid. And uh, interesting character, and Brad Weston is, of course, missed. Our second uh, remembrance birthday goes out this week to Mickey Morton, who played Drill Thrall Kling in the TOS episode, The Gamesters of Triskelon, which I also like very much and often think of uh, when I think of TOS. We're also remembering this week Angelique Pettyjohn, who played Shanna in the TOS episode, Game Masters of Triskelon. We're also remembering Patty Edwards, who would have had a birthday this week, who played Anya in the TNG episode, The Dauphine. And last but certainly not least, uh, someone we have lost more recently, just in the past few years here, uh, Anton Yelchin would have had a birthday this week. He, of course, plays Chekhov in the Kelvin timeline movies um, for Star Trek. And uh, Anton is absolutely missed. It was tragic loss of a, of a very young life when we lost him. So... Happy birthday to all of our folks uh, who have gone before us uh, that are involved in the Star Trek franchise. And Charles, why don't you start us out with some folks who are still with us and have birthdays this week? Well, let's start off with Samantha Egger, who played Maria Picard in TNG's episode of Family, where we got to see some of Picard's family members on the end of the uh, or in the uh, winery. Then we've got Maureen Nismon, who played Harmony in TNG's episode, Loud as a Whisper. As note, this was John Delante's wife. Barbara Aylin Woods played Karen Bryan in TNG's A Schizoid Man. Trisha O'Neill played Captain Rachel Garrett in TNG's Justice Enterprise, played Corral in TNG's Suspicion, and 
Perinus and DS9 Defiance. And then I'll finish off with one that definitely has become a very popular character. In playing the very, in the uh, character that changed quite a bit, playing Hugh, played by Jonathan Del- uh, Delarco. He played in TNG's episode, The Borg, and he sent one and two, and was a short-run major cast member in the card. Playing one of the former board. Jim, are you with us to finish? Oh, yep, I'm back. I'm here. So uh, we're going to wrap up the birthdays before we get to our Star Trek Attack Wing special show for you guys, by the way. The number here is 646-668-2433. If you have a question for either Josh or Eric, give us a call, and you'll be qualified to win the USS Excelsior Expansion Pack. So put us on speed dial and start calling now. So wrapping up our birthdays, oh, boy, we have a birthday. Dean Stockwell, who played Colonel Gratt in the Enterprise episode Detain, but I think a lot of people know him as Al from Quantum Leap. Donna Murphy, who played Anij in Star Trek Nemesis. She kind of liked balding older men, even though she was 300 herself. Of James Sicking, who played Captain Stiles in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. We'd like to say happy birthday to Nancy Kovac, who played Nana in the TOS episode A Private Little War. We'd also like to say happy birthday to Joanna Mills, who played Perrin in the TNG episode Sarek and also Unification. That would have been Sarek's second wife, although you could say presumably her third because he had Cybok with a Vulcan princess. So I'm not sure how that all fits into the timeline. But uh, anyways, she was uh, Sarek's second human wife. Let's put it that way. We'd also like to say happy birthday and kapla to all those warriors out there. Patrick Massat, who played Duras in the TNG episode Reunion and Sins of the Father. Great, great actor there. Great character. And finally, last but not least, the big one for tonight. We And uh, maybe we'll talk with Eric a little bit about her attack wing card. Who knows? We'll see where, where the show ends up. But we'd like to say happy birthday to Jolene Blaylock, who played Kapal on Star Trek Enterprise. And I know that she has a brand new attack wing card that's available in the um, Vulcan Live Long and Prosper faction pack. Maybe we'll have a chance to talk to Eric about that a little bit later. So, okay, well, that wraps up our birthdays, guys. We're going to dive right into the show. I believe we do have with us Josh. Josh, can you hear us now? Yeah, it's all set. Excellent. Josh is on the line. Josh is one of the game designers for Star Trek Alliance, the Dominion War. So if you have a question for Josh about the game, please give us a call. And we also have with us Eric Sievers from Da Vinci's Watch. Eric, can you hear us now? Of course I can. How are you guys doing tonight? Excellent. I, it's it's great to have you guys on. I I just watched your Vulcan you, uh, Live Long and Prosper uh, review just a few minutes before the show, and I was pretty impressed. Some good stuff in there. Oh, yeah, the Vulcans. The Vulcans are great. They love using the scan mechanic. Uh, the two Dakirs that are in there painted beautifully, and it's probably one of the best Constitution classes we've gotten, of paint job wise. 
when you hold it in your hand, uh, it really looks like an old TOS prop. Yeah, I, I was pretty impressed with that. So, uh, Josh, we're going to talk, start off talking a little bit about Star Trek Alliance, the Dominion War. Um, so, Eric, did you have a uh, – my co-host, Eric, did you have a question that you wanted to ask, Josh? <laughs> yeah, I thought – We have two, uh, Eric. We do, and I thought – No, it's I'd all do, good. More, yeah. Eric, more fun. <laughs> Uh, I thought I'd do just a little bit more of an intro for anybody who is listening to us tonight that might not know uh, what this is that we're talking about. So Star Trek Alliance, the Dominion War Campaign, uh, is a starship battle game. I think I'd call it a miniatures game set in the Star Trek universe. Uh, One or more players can create their own Federation captains, form a task force, work together to defeat the Dominion over a series of campaign missions. Um, the one cool thing is that this, well, there's many cool things, but this box contains uh, everything one or two players need to play the full campaign, including pre-painted plastic ships, custom dice, cards, tokens, and a six-mission campaign book. Um, and if you buy, of course, multiple copies of this, you can play with up to six players on one table, which sounds like a lot of fun to me. Uh, the idea is that you play this game over and over again, you play the different missions, and as you go, you build up experience points, and then on your next mission, you're able to spend more experience points and kind of level up before you go into the next mission. So that is just the kind of game that I love. And uh, Josh, I wanted to kind of like rewind back to the beginning just a little bit. Um, I remember first seeing, I think, what was a proto version of this game back uh, in 2018 when I attended Origins. And um, I think that this is the same thing. Maybe you can confirm that with me. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering when you, I don't know if it was you or when whoever, first pitched this game uh, to WizKids and when was it first picked up? Okay, so we can go back to the beginning or we can go back before uh, Alliance was even pitched to WizKids because um, I actually come from playing um, Fantasy Flight's X-Wing Miniatures game, which is the flight path system that Star Trek Attack Wing leverages to do its mechanics as well. They're essentially the same game system. There are some big kind of differences in how they um, feel, but the mechanics are largely the same. So Alliance is a very interesting project in that Um, Heroes of the Atari cluster already existed and it was a free PDF campaign with a bunch of, you know, new materials and like an 80 page PDF rule book that you could download for free um, for X-Wing. And it it introduced co-op play to X-Wing with this sort of system that I had built to automate flying certain ships. Uh, And it was quite popular. That was posted for the first time in 2015. Um, proceeded to be, you know, very popular over the, uh, the handful of years kind of following that. It continues to have a big following even now into the second edition era of X-Wing. But, so I, I launched that in 2015. I started working at Linvander Studios in 2016, founded it with uh, business partner Thomas Gofton, um, who was a big Attack Wing fan. I had not actually played much Star Trek Attack Wing prior to that. And it's kind of a strange thing how it came about because we, you know, we would go and do conventions where we would show off our, our games that were in the works and we would schedule meetings to, you know, see if we can pitch designs to various publishers and whatnot. We had a meeting with um, WizKids at Origins 2017 where 
we had three prototypes to show, uh, to show them. They, they liked several of them. Um, one of them they, they took with. And then at the end of the conversation, Alliance and, and the idea of doing a co-op attack wing game was not even something that they had thought of. And it wasn't even on our agenda to discuss. And uh, Tommy kind of sneaks it in there at the end, like, what would you say if you could take attack wing and make it cooperative against the game? And uh, Zeb's first reaction, because it was, it was Zeb over at WizKids who we were pitching it to, was just, can't be done. And Tommy replies with, can be done, has been done. Would you like it? And that was the hook that kind of got, that was the seed of the interest that um, sort of became that project. Wow. Wow. That's a great story. I love that. <laughs> he just uh, being at the right place at the right time and then talking to the right people. Um, so you had developed the Heroes of the Arturi cluster before. Um, what are the kind of, are there major differences between the two, between Alliance and Arturi cluster, or are they very similar? Um, so the biggest thing about them is the idea of a cooperative play because you can battle against, you know, the game has a system for moving ships around using the rulers and rolling for them using the dice and all of that. Uh, and B, the idea of this sort of overarching campaign where as players, every time you do a, a scenario, you're going to battle against the automated opponent, do some objectives, accumulate some experience points, and then spend them to improve your captain and continue that those two arcs are very similar where they differ is um more in the details heroes of the atari cluster was conceived of um originally as a project like i you know it wasn't a commissioned game or anything it was just something i did because i really enjoyed x-wing and i realized at some point i'm not going to want to like there won't be competitive play for it anymore or, like the sun will set on this game i would love to have the ability to keep playing x-wing I should probably just make an automated opponent that is challenging enough that, you know, the sun will never truly set on this game. And that was really my goal. It was because I was so heavily invested in X-Wing that I wanted this sort of automated opponent to battle against. Um, and, you know, a, a, a reason to do it rather than just having to create, you know, kind of scenarios on the fly. If I put them all in the campaign and give it an overarching story, it becomes much more of a board game experience. Okay. Now, that was cool for heroes because I had so much X-Wing. It was like, oh yeah, I can assume that we can play at six players because I own six X-Wings and I own four of every TIE fighter. And like, you know, I have a huge X-Wing collection. But it was a really interesting sort of paradigm shift building the Dominion War campaign as a boxed game with an MSRP that wouldn't make you choke. Um, because like, that Heroes of the Aturi Cluster experience assumed that you had like a whole collection worth at minimum hundreds of dollars of MSRP. Making that experience and distilling it down to a $45 box set is an interesting adventure. Uh -huh. yeah, and really the, the details there are just like, um, you know, there are, there are some differences in the AI, things that I learned from a lot of Heroes of the Aturi Cluster development. All the scenarios are new and of course bespoke to Star Trek. Um, the card pool of upgrade cards that are specifically for Attack Wing Alliance or Star Trek Alliance are compatible with Attack Wing, but are totally brand new and designed for competitive play. 
Well, I do think that the one of the many things that this pack accomplishes is it is a all-inclusive experience, all in one. And not only does it function as this sort of campaign that you are that you're suggesting is kind of at its core, but it also functions as something that we've been missing from Attack Wing for a long time, which is actually a starter set. It comes with a full set of dice, full set of maneuver templates, uh, a rule book. It, there are actually two books inside. One is the Rules of Play book, and one is the actual campaign book. Um, I'm curious from a design standpoint, uh, you know, at some point you had to make choices about how many ships to include, what sorts of ships to include, what classes of ships to include, uh, you know, how many rules books you were going to write, that sort of thing. Can you tell us just a little bit about the design process? Obviously, you can't uh, recount the entire thing that I assume took place over many months or maybe even years, but, you know, what? give us, give us some some skinny on the design process there. So uh, I'll, I'll preface that by saying, um, you know, as a developer at Lindander Studios, we work on a lot of different licensed games. Um, Star Trek is one that I was really excited to work on, but it's really no different in terms of the initial process of figuring out, you know, you, you sort of design it from the perspective of what is the sellable product? What is the end goal box that will be on the shelf that someone will buy? What do we reasonably think we can put in that for the price point we would like to hit? And then just kind of figuring out how to make that work. So for a long time, the, the question was, um, you know, older attack wing starters had uh, the very first one had three ships, had the enterprise D uh, a Vorcha attack class cruiser, and then a, a Romulan Warbird for sort of three-player play out of the box. There's three models in a box that's like $40. And then there's the two-player Federation versus Klingon starter that came out some years later, um, both of which are long since out of print now and hard to find. So it being a starter set was obviously goal number one, right? We need a new starter set at minimum. Wouldn't it be great if this was a starter set that was specifically aimed for cooperative play? So that was the first piece. But the second piece was actually about, okay, if we put three or four ships in the box, how do we make it, how do we, how do we get enough content in there to make a satisfying cooperative play experience? And it became pretty clear early on in the development of the system and kind of figuring out the scenarios uh, and how they were going to feel. It became pretty clear that you couldn't just do it with two Federation ships and two Jem'Hadar attack fighters. It just wasn't enough. They're not scary enough because they don't outnumber you and your ships are better. Um, so a lot of it came, kind of came down to like, oh, we actually really do just need for the two-player experience two player ships and three, uh, you know, Dominion ships to, for them to battle against. And everything else that we wanted to accomplish scenario-wise had to be done in cardboard. So there's a cardboard runabout token. There's a cardboard as uh, four I think four of the asteroid tokens in the game that are obstacles on most missions double as Cardassian weapon platforms. Um, so there's a lot of things like that, that we kind of managed to squeak in some extra gameplay that doesn't have plastic associated with it. Cause that is the number one cost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I will say that the quality to me of all of the components is, it's pretty darn good. I'd say it's, um, it's top notch. I mean, I've collected attack wing, uh, products since, uh, probably the second or third year that it was in existence. Um, the paint jobs on these ships are very nice. They have a nice kind of matte sort of muted tone to them. 
Um, the cards have a uh, pretty, pretty good stock on them. The, the cardboard mm -hmm. templates are nice and thick, uh, you know, and they're not easily bendable. Even the AI card is, is pretty nice. Do you folks yeah. get to kind of review all of that stuff along the way and kind of decide, you know, what level of quality you're going <laughs> to? Does that, you tell us so, about that. Yeah. Um, often because we're thinking about MSRP and, you know, what the, the royalty and profit and all of that breakdown will look like from the product level, we pretty quickly establish what the cost of goods needs to be so that everyone can actually make money off of the game. Um, which is something I feel like a lot of Kickstarter creators maybe are a little shaky on sometimes, but it was absolutely, you know, a lot of those decisions are made for that reason. And very early on, we had a components list of everything that was going to be in the box, what stock it was going to be printed on. Um, so, you know, I made a lot of those recommendations because in addition to being game developer at Limbander, I also do, I would say the majority of our graphic design. Um, including oh. like the pre-press stuff. So a lot of the like file specs and whatnot, I get at least some say in. Now, it's not a game we're publishing. It's a game WizKids is publishing. And it's ultimately going to be them handling it at the factory, which means that the best I can really do is make a suggestion. Hmm. But the number one thing I said to them when we started this project is, if there's anywhere that we're going to spend money, I would like to spend money on the ships and I would like to spend money on the card stock because mm -hmm. I don't really care for the way previous attack wing cards were, were printed. I felt like they were a little flimsy. Um, but a lot of that was the result of, um, you know, so we, we made some requests, we made some suggestions. They took that information and kind of did what they were going to do with it. But also part of the reason why uh, I think we announced this project in 2018, it was in development for about nine months to a year actively and then it took a very long time to come out because um, WizKids was in the process of changing the manufacturer for all of the attack wing stuff. Like, so there was a whole bunch of plastic injection molding, like tooling that had to be moved and inventoried. Um, but the new manufacturer, I'm not entirely sure who it is. Um, I think it's done a fantastic job. Uh -huh. So between their printing and their plastics and painting work and um, a complete graphic design overhaul on all of the components for Alliance. Um, I think that's really helped bring the, the quality of the entire manufacturing up. Yeah, absolutely. It has a sharpness to it, I would say, that uh, I think previous attackling cards haven't had. The, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> there's, there's one... I can tell uh, you why. Yeah, tell me why. Tell me why it looks <laughs> so cool. Um, so as part of the layout process for this game, we did receive, like I have the... WizKids sent me all of the press files from previous attack wing releases. So I like, they sent me like the Photoshop templates that they were working off to make cards. They sent me, um, you know, the original rule book from the previous starter set, like basically everything that they had manufacturing files for or working files for, they sent me. And uh, a lot of it, I actually ended up just completely rebuilding. So even though the project looks a lot like previous editions of Attack Wing with the various card templates and, and whatnot, almost every single asset there is new, and a lot of them are done in vector. Almost every icon that exists uh -huh. in the game now is actually not a small Photoshop or JPEG-like file. It's done the same way a font would be done. So it's all drawn in vector and is really scalable, which means that even though the print files are sort of you know, 300 DPI, 
they're probably being printed at closer to six or 900 DPI. So there's okay. definitely a sharpness in the actual files themselves. Okay. We also yeah. did a lot of work with the um, sort of file preparation and color management of the stills and really a preference for HD, anything that was available in HD, which is not really the case with older TNG stuff. Um, and that really helped with the art quality too on the actual card illustrations. Yeah, they do. They look higher resolution. I mean, there are a couple that are slightly grainy because there's motion or something like that kind of going on. But but generally speaking, they all definitely have a sharpness. And I noticed that the colors even look different. You know, there's um, there's some layering of different uh, graphics that are kind of, you know, semi-transparent here and there that where maybe they weren't semi-transparent. So it looks like you maybe made some graphical choice updates as well. Mm, I think those are actually printing errors. Oh, There's they? a few things that I that I, I know about that are going to be tweaked slightly for future printings of the the core set. Got it. Okay. Well, so well, you know, Josh, when it comes to I the... just oh yeah, go ahead. I wanted to I wanted to say that um, I played it. I played X Wing when it first came out, and and then I got into Attack Wing, and I got rid of my X Wing stuff completely, and got completely into X Wing or Attack Wing because I felt that the Attack Wing felt more like a Star Trek game to me than X-Wing felt like a Star Wars game. Uh, Interesting. Attack Wing just felt like they were big. Well, I'll give you an example. I'm shooting at a TIE fighter, and I, I, I shoot at the TIE fighter five times, and he's still alive. And I'm thinking, wait, <laughs> in the movies, they shoot the TIE fighter, and it explodes. Well, what is this? And yet when you play Attack Wing, it felt more like, like big ships having a battle to me. And then, of course, when they came out with 2.0, that was it for me. I was done. And uh, you guys didn't do that, though. When you came out with Alliance, they're completely compatible games, which, which I think is awesome. So, like, to be honest, even in the X-Wing system, the second edition reboot was not really... It was needed in some ways, but it wasn't needed in other ways. The biggest problem that I think both systems had after years and years of expansions and developments is just um, from a, a design perspective and a content development perspective, it's just like you have so many cards and you have so many, after doing so many designs, you have certain combinations or powers that are just a little bit too good. And designers and, and collectible game players often speak of like power creep, right? Future releases become so much better than previous releases. And both of the games had that sort of problem where there were so many cards where they just weren't good enough anymore. And there were certain things that were just a little bit too strong. So X-Wing solved it by going the second edition route of completely rebooting everything, reissuing new cards for everything, redesigning all the ships so that things they learned in year five of working on the game, they could put back into ships that they made in year one. But for Attack Wing... I had no interest in doing like a full on reboot, but they offered it to us because it said like, you know, if you want to completely overhaul this, we're, we're okay with that. But we came back and we said, no, it would really be best if people who have bought into attacking and have big collections can have a seamless experience. If they're going to be able to eventually port more of that over, I don't, I don't want to make it one way compatible. I want to make it future proof. And from that, and that, that like from I that end of it, that was a smart move. Very yeah, and also yeah. the biggest problem with like the balance of it, because one of the things we struggled with early on in the project was just 
in our early testing, we weren't using original cards. We were using stuff from Attack Wing. Like we were using basically just Tom's Attack Wing set, rated it for all the cards we thought would be cool in a cooperative setting and tried to build lists out of them and sort of, you know, we sort of had like a, a functioning whitelist of like, oh, this is legal in co-op. This is too crazy. Um, and we worked with a lot of those cards, but it became pretty apparent to us that like certain certain design spaces weren't really being tapped. And also WizKids requested about halfway through development, like, I know you're using the current cards that exist because we're making like a standalone thing, but it would be really nice if you could just make a new set of 24 cards. And at which point I just said, uh, okay, sure, we'll do that. <laughs> but if we're going to do that, um, I'm going to try not to use anything from older Attack Wing stuff, except for a few choice cards that some competitive players have told me are highly desirable, like the photon torpedoes. Um, but basically, like it was, yeah, we're going to make brand new cards because then I can totally control all of their squad point values, which in Alliance means their experience point values. Um, and we can totally design uh, a tight set of 24 cards that are useful in different combinations and make the experience of leveling up uh, your character and spending your experience points a compelling sort of adventure, right? And you know something else that I really like about Alliance is I was running a tackling wing game at a local game shop here, and uh, every time we did try to do a um, – uh, a tournament, people would ignore the, the, the rules of the tournament and it just came down to a blow each other up and forget about completing the missions. And it just it deteriorated into an all-out battle. And so I think it's great that what you did with an alliance is that now we have to cooperate with each other and battle against the Dominion. And that changes the whole complexion of the game. It, it turns it from Absolutely. an individual thing to a group thing and the minute you do that, I think you open it up to all kinds of great stuff because one of the things we used to do is do the Battle of Wolf 359. We take the big board cube, I put lights in it and everything, and we put it in the middle of the table, mm-hmm. and everybody brings their fleet and battles the Borg. And that's, that's what we used to do. But, but now we can do it with Alliance because you have the great AI system, which is outstanding, by the way, I might add. Um, but listen, we have a caller on the line that has a question for you. And uh, let me see if I can get the phone lines to work here. Let's do it. Hello, thanks for calling Trek Talking. What's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Hello, Jim. This is Joy. It's Cranker Joy. We were just talking Lake. about you. How are you doing tonight? I heard my name. I didn't know what you were talking about because I was doing dishes then. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about Star Trek Attack Wing and the new game Star Trek Alliance, uh, the Dominion War No, I didn't know why you mentioned my name, though. I heard my name, but didn't know why. (laughs) Oh, no. uh, Um, What we do each week is uh, we give a shout-out to fans that are listening around the globe, and yours was one of the names that we picked. And so we just gave you a shout-out to kind of say thank you for listening to the show. And you were listening because now you're on the line with us. (laughs) Yes. Well, I have a question. Um, I know someone here that does game developing, and I know we've um, we've been able to participate in some of his game developing. You know, come and test out his games, and he gets our feedback and sees how it goes. Because they mentioned you don't want to like make it too easy or too hard, because then people either get bored or frustrated. I was wondering how long did that part of it take place, where you had to like develop 
how it was going to work. And I also wanted to know where would the marketing for this be? Would this be like a private um, store type something that's sold or online or like big stores or where? I'll, I'll tackle the, the marketing and sort of retail question first. So the game is available in like hobby shops everywhere. It's in general distribution. If you go to a board game store, they'll at least, you know, they probably stock other games from WizKids. So I'm sure they are, they would be able to get it for you. It is also available directly from uh, WizKids through their website. They have an online store. Um, so you can definitely okay. get a hold of it. It was a little bit tricky there for a while because I think initial demand completely uh, outstripped the uh, the fulfillment, but it seems like it's a little bit more widely available now, at least from what I've kind of been keeping up with. Uh, as for the second question, the the system is really two parts, right? There's this automated opponent, which has its own card and its own rules for how to equip enemy ships and move them around. And then there's the component of the scenarios that the players have to tackle where the other side is being played by this automated opponent. I mean, realistically... Mm-hmm you can play the standard skirmish game for that, you know, you used to play competitive attack wing. If you took your fleet and each of you played one ship and you made a fleet out of dominion ships and just let the Alliance AI run it, you could play a standard competitive game. Now, if you were using your attack wing cards, you'd probably completely wreck the AI because it's not really built to compete at that level, um, but it would work. So there was a lot of sort of early development of like, oh, right, we have this AI. It's got to work like this. These ships have to feel like this. What are good moves in, you know, defensive attack wing? Like when does it, when should it battle stations? When should it scan? All of that sort of stuff. That was sort of one layer of like test the AI repeatedly in a vacuum just in battles. The second Hmm. layer was, okay, now we've got the AI working in a way that is challenging enough. Maybe it's a little dumb in places or like, you know, if we, if we play it with equal squad value, it probably isn't strong enough. Uh, but that's fine because then when you get to the point of laying out the campaign and figuring out what story we were going to tell with the, the, you know, this little six mission campaign that's included, we really got to design all of the scenarios in such a way that played to the AI's strengths. So often when you're playing the scenarios, you are outnumbered. You are in the Gamma Quadrant. There are going to be more Jem'Hadar attack ships than you can reasonably deal with, or than you would be expected to play against if you were doing a competitive game and a human player was playing them. And that's part of the mm-hmm. way that we made the game tense. It's just like, you're never really in a position where you have the upper hand. Cool. Um, is, this, is this also like a card-building game? It kind of can be. Yeah. Cards. yeah, there's an aspect to, um, you know, you, each of your players has a ship that has, a, a, effectively each player is a, a fictional captain that they get to create, they get to write a little name on a little stack card. Um, but then the ship itself, one, one player is going to take the Acura class in the box, other player is going to take the Excelsior class. Um, and then any of the upgrades that they want to bring into the various missions, they have a certain number of points that they can spend in different categories. And as they do missions and earn more experience points, the the points limit on each of those categories, they can put points into increasing the limit. But before every mission, they can sort of freely choose from the cards in the box, you know, who's going to be on on deck or who's going to be the away team for this mission or whatever. And so there's a bit of an aspect of like trying to build a team of ships that works well together 
And that pool of cards you can work with is slowly expanding as you play this storyline. Cool. And you have the AI part you can play against, so no one has to be like the Dungeon and Dragon Master or something. You can AI can take that role. Yes, exactly. You could you could have a cool. human player play all of the uh, opposing ships, but I suspect it will make the game harder. Yeah, I like the team building. Well, that is really, um, really great. I'm looking to this more. Thank you very much. Welcome. Well, you you know what? Yes. Uh, you're actually going to be getting one of these ships in the mail. Isn't that awesome? What? Really? I'm going to be sending. Yes, I'm going to be sending you one in the mail, and uh, in in here you'll get to see what the ship looks like. You'll get to see some of the cards that are in there. It won't be enough to play the actual oh, cool. game. It'll only be a single but ship. But check it out. But maybe you know, maybe it'll be enough uh, for you to want to get involved in the game. So it's our way of saying thank you for calling and thank you for listening. So cool, congratulations. Thank you. Well, we've been doing our own <laughs> Star Trek thing here since COVID started. When COVID started, we considered a house was a ship and we had the the television is the holodeck the re- microwave is the replicator um and you know we'd go on spacewalks <laughs> masked up so we've kind of like living our own star trek here for the for <laughs> for covid love it so well, thank you'll, you you'll, maybe you you can pick up a copy of alliance and you can use this the ship you're going to get, and you, uh, you and your daughter, maybe Leslie, you can get together and play a game. I can't wait till this COVID is over. <laughs> Matter of fact, a couple Me of neither. shots today. Uh-huh. We started vaccinations here, so I got mine yesterday. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh-huh. Thanks for calling. Have a good night. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. So, uh, Eric, can you hear us yet? Of course, Jim, I'm right here. Eric is there. Good, good, good. I've been talking to Henry. Is it Henry? Yeah. We, we've had a problem uh, with yeah, the but, computer. The link was working, so I just have on my phone. Henry's actually one of the uh, world's judges for Star Trek. Exactly. Uh, okay, because I wasn't sure if I was talking to Henry or Eric, but I, I, I got Eric now. That's good, because Eric is the one sir. we're supposed to have. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So, so, Josh, um, before we move on, are you planning any future expansions, perhaps? Uh, so one of the things that we, and there's an older version of the packaging, which may or may not be visible online somewhere. One of the things that came out of that conversation with WizKids was, well, the best system to start, or the best setting to start and do an AI campaign would be the Dominion War. It's such a big, vast setting with so much like skirmish game potential that that seems like a really good place to start. And we said, oh, but it's such a big setting. How do you distill it down to a box? And I said, well, you don't distill it down to one box. You distill it down to three boxes. It should be a campaign, like a real campaign with, you know, things that get added to it later as you, as you keep going and telling the story. So really the, the original pitch that I'm, I'm hoping we will still get to do. And so far things look pretty promising in that camp, but I obviously can't promise anything. Um, was that we were going to do a three a three box trilogy, which would be the entirety of the Dominion War plot from DS9. And uh, I'm sure your listeners are very familiar with Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, but I'll just I'll just hint at the fact that the the timeline for the little six mini mission mini campaign within Alliance is 
explicitly set in the early sort of Cold War era of the Dominion War. Now, the Dominion is not in the Alpha Quadrant yet. Things haven't really gone too, too badly for the Federation yet at this point. But we absolutely planned out what at least those various missions would look like and what the other ships and other AIs and other cards that we would be able to bring into the system if we were going to be able to tell that story to its conclusion. And that includes, for example, playable Klingons, playable Romulans, and a wider range of uh, automated ships to fight against. Wow, that, that was, that's excellent, because that was going to be my next question. Somebody like me who loves the Klingons, is there a way for me, will there be a way for me to use some of my Klingon ships? And you just answered that question for me. That's excellent. I mean, my, to be honest, my goal here, would I, I would love to, in a perfect world, uh, have enough buy-in and support for this, this game system to kind of give Attack Wing like the full, you know, the full pass of like, here is everything that was ever released, now compatible with AI in some way, build out the card set a little bit more, and clean up the, sort of the competitive play aspect to it. Because there are other scenarios and other settings we could do competitive play for as well, or cooperative play rather, um, for, and it would be nice to see some of those too. So I'm not really quite sure what the future holds yet, but I'm definitely excited to be able to work on more Alliance. Now, you were talking about other campaigns. Would they be would they be campaign boxes with, with a, a new bunch of ships, or would they just be like, like a card pack type of thing with, with the missions inside of it? I don't know. That's really that, – that level of planning hasn't really been done yet. I don't have uh, word from on high about what the specs would be. But um, I think my preference would be to keep doing self-contained boxes because there will be people who will – and, in fact, I know some of them – who discovered Attack Wing for the first time because of Alliance and because it is A, a new starter set, and B, totally cooperative. It seems weird not to release um, you know, new boxes or new content in such a way that everything would be included for them, so that even if you don't have an existing Attack Wing collection made out of ships that are you know, out of print now or very difficult or expensive to find, it would be nice to have those accessible and available and to be able to tell more campaign stories with them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This is a big and reason now, why the Akira class is one of the ships, right? It was very well, difficult to well, find because it was never really printed in big numbers. And it's such a cool ship design that I was like, we got to have it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's an awesome decision. Now, I noticed, I noticed that uh, I'm seeing some previews for new faction packs that are showing up on the internet, in particular a Dominion one and a Vulcan one, we're going to chat with, with Eric about uh, in, a, in, a, in a little bit here. But mm-hmm. uh, those are completely compatible with a lot with the Alliance system, right? You can use the card back and forth, right? Alliance was only ever intended to be one way. So anything that's in an Alliance box has a little uh, Star Trek Alliance icon in the corner. And those are the ones that you can use for your, cap, your, your Federation captains to level them up. The stuff that is in the existing faction packs, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but as I understand it, um, they had been designed some time ago, I think. And they were just, it wasn't clear when they were going to get released. So as far as I know, nothing in there is Alliance compatible because I haven't had any hand in the development of them. 
So, um, Eric, can you hear us? Yes, I can, sir. Okay. Yes, I am. So, uh, excellent. So, if somebody were to buy Alliance and somebody were to buy the Vulcan Faction Pack, are the cards compatible? Can you use the Alliance cards that you bought with the Vulcan Faction Pack or the Dominion Faction Pack? So, the cards from Alliance are completely playable in Star Trek Attack Wing. A lot of them are actually very good, like Calculating and Battle Hardened. And if you want to yep. take it the next step and use the new faction packs with Alliance, you can. There's two missions in each one, especially the, the Tacumbra is in uh, the Vulcan faction pack. So you can just make your own mission and just go full Deep Space Nine themed missions and just have some fun with like some fan-made missions. That's what we've been trying to do. We've been making one with that Deep Space Nine as a playable thing. Just have more fun with the system. Well, wow, that's, that's, that's great. So basically we have a brand new starter set for anybody that wants to get into the game. They can buy the Alliance cooperative game and use that as a starter set. And we also have, if I remember correctly from your, from your video, there's actually four faction packs coming out. Two of them you've already reviewed, Whoa. but there's two more. Yeah. There is a Klingon faction pack coming out soon and a Federation faction pack coming out soon. I'm looking at them right now, but I'm not allowed to say what's in them. To a point. Wow, which so, I'm sorry about. So Attack Wing. Well, that, that's okay. That's all right. So Attack Wing. It sounds to me like Attack Wing is getting a second breath here. Yeah, it really got hurt with the um, them switching factories. COVID didn't help anything. Like the last things that came out before this was the Borg and animated faction packs, which are great. I love the Star Trek animated series from back in the day. Uh, but they're very good. You should go seek them out. And Star Trek Attack Wing is getting its next breath. We're getting as much stuff out as possible. That's the point of the game, I think. We just want people to play again. That's why I started my YouTube channel, just trying to get as much more eyes on the product as possible. I didn't know anything about it until I moved down here to Florida, but the people at DaVinci's DreamWorks 2 showed me the game, and I'm a big Magic the Gathering player, and I see it more as a deck builder with just the novels. So I'm really excited when I got into it, and I've been playing it ever since. Yeah, I've been watching. I've been watching your videos on YouTube. Like I said at the top of the show, I just watched the Vulcan one before I came on oh, the show, so we, I would know what to talk about, <laughs> which is cool. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, the Vulcan know, one is uh, very Charles, good. Uh, Eric and I have been talking to Josh and Eric. Did you have any questions you wanted to ask before we dive into these packs? No, I no. I'm, I'm really going to say the one. Well, one compliment I really had was the fact that I haven't gotten a chance to play it myself, but I've seen the, a lot of demos of the first mission, and everything is you got to kind of have to play to the mission. You're not going in saying, oh, I'm going to sit there and conquer these ships. No, you really want to try to get the mission part of it in, which so much have I seen tournaments and a lot of the OPs, Oh, we're gonna go. We're gonna go sit there and solve this mission. Yeah, but my opponent wants to sit there and just forget about the mission and just go kill me. And it's like I like that part of it. And something else I've seen that I think Eric fits in very well with this one, our Eric, is the fact that he has family members who are not miniature players. He had them playing the game because it's a co-op tabletop game, not a miniatures game which I'm hoping to do that a little bit with some of my friends when this thing, when I get to seeing more people out and about, 
where let me see if I can bring this on the table and get somebody who's not a miniature player to play it and play the mission. It's like, oh, here's a game. It's like, oh, okay, I haven't done a miniatures game, but I do like a tabletop game. Right. So that was a huge a deal for us. For mm-hmm. That was a huge deal for us when we were kind of figuring out what the the strategy behind the game would be. And really, like that, I think that's the charm of the cooperative play. Is like, if you if you love Attack Wing and you've been playing it for years, and you have friends and family who, you know, were intimidated by the fact that there are hundreds of cards and dozens and dozens of ships yeah, and all yeah. of that. Attack Wing makes it, or Alliance makes it very much like a, oh, if one player, if, if you've got the knowledge about how Attack Wing works, almost all of that transfers, and you'll have a really kind of tight single box experience that's really quite approachable for people who might be interested in the theme, but were put off by, you know, the the competitive play of Attack Wing. Yeah, definitely. You know, you know what else works really good about it, Josh, is the fact that in the original attack, when you had all the icons and you had to pick your crew and your weapons and your tech and your captain, and you had so many points to spend and it, it could feel daunting to a new player, but with Alliance, it's, it, it, you've made it so simple because it, it tells you in the book on the first mission, you can take the Excelsior and it recommends what to take. You can take the Akira and it recommends what to take. And you don't have to spend a lot of time explaining to a new player what the what the points are, what the cards do, what the, what any of this means, because it's all laid out right there for you. And here's your cards. You you put them on your ship and you play the game. It's very easy to pick up right out of the box. And I think that's a huge plus for the game. Absolutely. I mean, it's just so easy to pick up on the game, right right out of the box. Especially if you're playing with someone who's played it before it's very easy for a new player to, to jump right in and play the game. In fact, I've watched yeah, Eric say, on his Facebook page uh, play with new players, and they didn't have any problem picking up the game. Yeah, I think Eric, that's one of the best things. I think that's one of the best things about Alliance is that uh, Star Trek Attack Wing, the competitive version of Star Trek Attack Wing, is absolutely mostly a deck-building game. There's some there's some piloting involved, mm-hmm. but um, some of these card combos uh, that Josh was talking about that have, you know, become increasingly, increasingly powered uh, over time, you, you get to a level where, um, you know, there's only certain fleets you can build and really uh, compete at a particular level. I love the fact that Alliance took a completely different tack, and it's I don't think it is a deck-building game at all. First of all, you start out with so few you don't have enough cards right? you don't have enough cards so yeah. you just yeah you have limited slots you start out with very few upgrades you only even if you really nail the missions you're only adding like two two sp uh you know or so every every round so you're not upgrading uh, everything immensely every time so uh, you know i sat down and i played this with my with my wife and with my 12 year old kid neither of whom have any interest in any sort of competitive miniatures game. And we had a blast. Um, I sort of DM'd it as we were suggesting before, where I ran the bad guy ships, you know, just, just so that they had a bad guy to battle against, but they, 
they really, really liked it, and they were making decisions and working together, and I did not give them any advice uh, as to, like, where they should go or what they should do. They just had to figure it out for themselves. It was so much fun. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. That warms it's my a, heart. It's a great game. <laughs> it's a great game. I, I'm, I'm so glad that, that you created Alliance because it breeds, it really does. It brings a whole new dimension to attack wing, and it brings it back to the forefront again. I know there's a lot of fans out there. There's a lot of people that invested a lot in the game. And I think it's great that you guys are bringing it back to a whole new audience. I think that's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Hopefully this, hopefully this sells like hotcakes. So if you have been it, it certainly to felt like it's selling like hotcakes. Well, that's good. I hope it continues yeah. to sell like hotcakes. I want you to sell as many of these as possible because – I think all of us who have purchased it, who are Attack Wing fans, are duly impressed and really looking forward to future releases. So please go out and buy it, everyone. <laughs> it's, it's definitely worth the trip. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, plus the idea, if we want to add more players to the game, just add more sets. And mm-hmm. I like that yeah, ability of saying, oh, we want to add more players, we can just Oh, you bring your box, and I'll bring my box, and see, we got four players right there. Bring a third box, we can get six players out there. We can get the missions going, and it's not like, oh, we're limited. It's the fact is, oh, the game is set up to add more players. You just need more kits to go. That was absolutely something that was brought forward from the original Heroes of the Atari cluster design in 2015, because I designed Heroes to support six players. And it made sense, too, because I had so much X-Wing. And that was, like, a pretty big, like, bigger than standard competitive play squad, but, like, manageable, works on the play area. But for Alliance, the whole challenge of, like, distilling it down to a meaningful two-player box, that was actually the really tough part. All of the scenarios were built assuming from day one that they could be played for by six people. And then it was really, we actually had to do a lot of extra testing for the small end, the I only have one set, I only have these components, period, to make sure that that was a really tight experience. That was actually the biggest challenge design-wise. <laughs> the four-player scenarios were like, we played them for the first time, and they were like, these seem great. Okay. We played them two-player, and they don't work quite as well. Oh, okay, we got to change those. How do, we, how do we change sort of both ends? Because the game plays quite differently with two than with six. But I think both experiences are great. Yeah, and I'll say for anyone who hasn't had the chance to play Alliance yet, the the big difference um, that Josh is sort of referring to is that the rules book has a chart, and it shows you, depending on how many players you are playing, which and, and how um, advanced of a uh, Dominion attack ship is deployed on particular turns throughout the game. So, for example... When you're playing this game with two people, you may only have three, maximum four ships that are out on the board at any one time. Uh, when you play uh, with more people, ships come out more frequently. There are more ships. So it's, uh, it, that's how and there it becomes scalable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and squadron. the squadron idea of having these things fly in formation uh, so that uh, you know, if you have a certain pack of ships that shows up in a corner, you, you roll one dice and it's you know, four ships in that corner that are all moving based on that one thing. There are efficiencies in the game that, that make it even better, I think, for, uh, for a low number of players. You know, I do not play one-player games, 
this is literally the first uh, miniatures game, I will say, that I've ever sat down and played one player. And I also had very much fun doing that. That was how I tested the majority of the scenarios. I've played every, basically every scenario at every player count at least once, probably several times for some of the lower ones, just to see, because some of them are quite variable in how they can play out. Others are less so. Some of them have a pretty big dice lock component. Um, mm-hmm. So there's, there was a lot of like, it seems good, but let's play it again with another player or with, you know, two more players or whatever and just see, make sure that it all works properly. Well, I've definitely been impressed with the intelligence of the AI. You know, I think there's only been a, I think I've played it maybe four or five times. And in, in all of those AI decisions, there's maybe been two or three decisions that it's made that, that may not have been optimal moves. Um, that must have taken an enormous amount of just, you know, trial and error, testing it over and over and over again, seeing how it was going to work. Yeah. There's a bit of a secret sauce to how the AI works, and it has to do with the as a player when you play a game like Attack Wing, there's a certain kind of like estimation that you do with the the physical space where you're sort of kind of guessing where your rulers are going to put you and what your firing arcs are going to be. And in my experience, players all do it very intuitively because the game doesn't have any kind of visible grid, right? The AI was actually the way I designed it was entirely based on basically figuring out what that invisible grid was and then manipulating it until it worked properly. Um, <laughs> so, and, and then also by not making the, the uh, enemy ships completely predictable, there's some variation in their movements. Um, and often certain maneuvers on the same little table on the AI's card, when you roll the die to see what they do, if one maneuver or like three of those six maneuvers uh, possible maneuvers are excellent for a situation, the other ones will be really good at covering the situation that the first one avoids. Like Mm -hmm. the, the way that they're collated together is also really important, not just which maneuvers in which direction, Mm -hmm. but it took a lot of the process of what players would do at various distances and various angles and kind of distilled it down and figured out what the, why the geometry works and then sort of reverse engineered it back to be like, okay, you should do this maneuver when the enemy ship or when a player ship is this far away and over there. Sure. That makes total sense. I mean, given that this is a game of, uh, you know, set templates and geometry should work out in particular ways uh, as time goes on throughout the game. And if you can figure out what those geometries are, that's, that's the road to success right there. Tell me more about the action bar. I'm, I'm very curious about the action bar for the AI. Um, you know, it, it offers a priority list. There are five things where it says, okay, if this mm-hmm. is not true, then go to number two. If this is not true, then go to number three. Um, tell us about the development of that. <laughs> the reason why Battle Stations is always the second, <laughs> is second on the priority list is because it tends to be like, honestly, I think this is actually the list that human players generally pick, right? If you, if you mm-hmm. ask a human player to sort of describe to you why they pick the actions they do at any point in the game, they'll usually tell you, like, oh, Battle Stations is a good catch-all unless I have a really good reason for doing something else, or maybe my ship can't do it, right, if you're playing a Klingon mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but generally, like, 
you always want dice quality if you can get it. What's the most effective way to get dice quality for a Jem'Hadar attack ship that, given they're not, given there's no human player overseeing them and making turnover, turn after turn sort of focused, continuous decisions for a ship, target locks are actually kind of difficult to make good use of for the AI. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why I'm actually not even sure if there are any scenarios in. I don't think there are. I don't think there are any systems in the current uh, Alliance campaign where the Jem'Hadar ships can gain a target lock. Uh, But we certainly designed a few where they could, and they're quite mean when they do. Um, But it was kind of made the decision where like, okay, Battle Stations is the best one that has no real dependencies and will be consistently good. Whereas human players, and especially with some of the Dominion cards that exist in competitive attack link play, there's a lot more sort of target lock synergy with the um, attack ships. And I really just kind of moved that complexity of the faction down the road and into other scenarios. Mm-hmm. Because frankly, the fact that they already outnumber you, it, it would be, you know, devastating if they were also having full dice quality with target locks and battle stations tokens or being able to get multiple sources of, of modification. Yeah, and I will say that the scale of the ships that we that the that the good guys use versus the scale of the ships that the bad guys use is pretty balanced. You know, you're only rolling three, four, maybe five attack dice for any one ship at any one time. And I think that, you know, you're not blowing away ships in one shot, uh, like you would very easily be able to do in standard attack wing. And I think that's yeah. kind of what makes it more interesting, you know? It, you, you know that you're only rolling three dice against that attack ship, and so you're maximum three hits. So it's really about the piloting end of it. It's really about how do I position my ship to accomplish a mission and maybe get a shot in at the bad guys on the way. Right. And the missions are designed in such a way that their objectives must be your priority because you will lose otherwise. Yeah, and there's a countdown for each one, too. There's a set number of yeah. rounds. So if you just dilly-dally around, you're you're going to lose eventually. And, you know, the AI ships don't use a upgrade system. They don't have their own set of uh, tech or crew. Um, most of them are basic, but then every once in a while you get what's what they call an elite ship. And these things mm-hmm. have a higher captain skill and have some sort of ability on them. I think the abilities are really interesting. That must have taken a little while to kind of – figure out what those elite abilities should be. There's six of them. Yeah. They're largely inspired by existing cards that were Dominion characters. Um, one of the attack ship elites basically has, what's the, what's the card called in competitive play? Phase Polaron Beam, I think. Mm-hmm. One that bypasses shields. Field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some of them were lifted directly from existing cards and sort of adapted. But the thing that, uh, and, you know, when we designed the original sort of AI thing and we were testing all of the existing attack wing cards to see which ones we kind of liked on AI ships, there was kind of a, a user experience nuisance of operating them. Because like the AI is really streamlined to just roll and move and pivot and do all the stuff you need to do for it. That lets you sort of focus on what you're doing as a player and not have to think at all about how the game is going to react to you. You just got to you know, do the little process that's listed on the card. And when we did a lot of the early design, all of the cards that we thought were interesting and cool and were, you know, kind of fun to play against on AI ships, they didn't have any kind of internal logic about how or when they should get used. 
because obviously they were made for human players. So the biggest thing about designing all of these um, elite enemy ship cards was just like, yes, we can leverage some of these existing abilities. And if you know attack wing, some of them will be very familiar to you, but they all have to be worded in such a way where it's clear what the AI ship will do with them or clear when they will use them. And that was sort of mm-hmm. the big reason why we ended up not doing upgrade cards for enemy ships. It's a bookkeeping thing, but it's also a like, make it, make it so I don't have to think about how they work. I just have to read the card and do the instruction. Yeah, and I think some of the new uh, WizKids templating for cards probably helped you in that regard. You know, big bold letters when attacking, big bold letters combat, mm-hmm. things, that sort of thing. Kind of makes it very clear when things are supposed to happen. Yeah, we did two whole rounds, actually, of style guide Bible work on all of the card designs. Because um, mm-hmm. they certainly weren't worded like that when I originally did them. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's been it's been an interesting in experience. Yeah. Go ahead. Wow, there's so much. Oh, it's so just much been an interesting experience here. doing that stuff. Yeah. So, um, Eric, um, Eric is with us from Divinity Watch, and That's Eric, I, I hear that there is a Klingon faction pack on the way. Is that true? Yes, it is, and it's called Klingon Faction Pack Blood Oath. Obviously, I you love know, it based on it's a very great episode. Is there anything you can tease us about, like for a Klingon player like myself? Is there anything that you can tease no. us about that we can look forward to, or that you're allowed to tell us? I'm a, I checked with my guy. I'm allowed to say a couple things. I'm allowed to say the captain. So you have a call off. You have a Kang. You might have two. One might be young from TOS. One might be core, and the other might be the albino. Oh, oh what? good addition. That's, That's cool. cool. Now, if you're wondering about the ships, we have two Katingas, one Negbar, and a Burrell. The Burrell has a very special mm-hmm. name. It's the ICS Coach Kari. Now, if you know what a Coach Kari is, it is a um, is the if you ever saw Voyager, the episode where Balana is going to the Klingon Hell, you see these worms on the bottom of them. These white worms, which are souls, they basically take Klingon souls. That is the name of the albino ship. Whoa, that's cool. Yes. That is cool. <laughs> and the other ones are all we have the Duval, the Katinka, and Oh. I'm not great at Klingon. I am very sorry if I butchered this. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and and the Klingons have needed an upgrade. Have needed another neg bar for a while. So I'm glad to hear that. Oh yeah, that's good. News. Yeah, I'm a that huge really Klingon good. fan. One of my favorite characters is Worf. Uh, but I love the, this pack. From what I was allowed to be shown of it, it looks really fun. Very thematic, and it's also based off my favorite episode of Deep Space Nine. So. I can't be mad with it. Now, I was watching your video for the Vulcan Faction Pack, and something I wanted to talk about was there's a brand new game mechanic and, and two new game cards that are introduced in the Vulcan Pack. Can you talk about those a little bit? Oh, yes, the Ambassadors. They are uh, they're very good. 
they're very different for the game. So you now have an open negotiations phase when the game starts. And you're going to pick a ship, and you're going to pick someone else's ship, and you open these negotiations with them. Uh, as long as the ship, the ambassadors are assigned to a ship, but they're not connected to the ship in any way. They don't take up a resource. They don't take up a slot. Um, they are supposed to be very thematic with this is what they do. Your Star Trek's always about negotiation at the end of the day, not about war. These two are very aggressive that are in the Vulcan faction pack. I think they're more themed around Enterprise Vulcans. But they're great. Uh, it's really fun to watch. It is scary at some points with the new with for a competitive scene of them with because you're able to and this is going super spiky. You can build your ship to where you cannot accept your negotiations, so they're automatically denied. So you can just it's very uninteractable. You can just do stuff to your opponent. Well, I, I saw that. What was the there was the one that you were talking about that actually kills a crew member. Was that Sloval? Or I believe it's Bashar. That's the look of it. Yes. No, it, it's the female one. Yeah. So basically, you're able to build to where you don't have a a three OS upgrade on your ship, and if you open negotiations with her on that ship, you can't accept them. So they're automatically denied, and you can just take any crew in the game and just put them away before the game starts. Yeah. Crazy. That's nasty. That is yeah, crazy. it's a very, very powerful card. There are ways to get around it. There are things you can build into to protect certain crew, but when you're doing that, you're putting a lot of points into it, and you're, you might be losing somewhere else. It's better to... Well, I always think... I've been playing competitive games for my, most of my life, You've always built an all-on-comers list. So if you're really something's too integral to your fleet that you need, you should save it. But at the same point, you have to realize not everything's saveable at the end of the day. True. Now, Eric, I was talking with Josh about new players in Alliance. And I noticed that one of the games I watched you play, your girlfriend joined you, and she had never played the game before. And I wanted to ask you, how was it for her to, to jump into the game knowing nothing, to pick it up, and, and what was her thoughts? Did she enjoy it? Was it something that she wanted to play some more of, or how, what, what did she have to say about that? Yeah, I actually really liked it at the end of the day. We've been getting her into miniature games. I actually met her at the comic book store, which is really crazy at the end of the day for that. But she's been getting into a lot of miniatures games, and I've been trying to show her Star Trek. I started with Voyager, and I'm trying to move her to Deep Space Nine now because it's my favorite season, obviously. But she's really liked it. She wanted to play more. We got her through a couple more missions until she wasn't feeling well. And then we actually got another new player, Mike, to come on, who never played a Flight Path game ever. And he was almost taken in the game that day, bought a copy, and left the store. Wow. See, that, that's it's, good news. So yeah. it's easy easy for new players to pick up, and they're, they're enjoying it. It's very thematic, and it feels like Star Trek. Yes. It's um, very thematic. I can't wait for it to get expanded upon. And I just see new players getting into it constantly. We're barely able to keep it in stock at DaVinci's DreamWorks, too, which is great. At the end of the day, if it sells out, that's the best thing you can ask for the game. Now, have, yeah. you, played, have you played all six of the missions yet? Yes, we did. They're all on our YouTube channel right now. We, ended up, we, had, we didn't lose a mission the entire time. 
So wow. the last mission scales really hard at the end of the day, at the end of the uh, game. Thankfully, yeah, one platforms. of our other friends. Yeah, we had four platforms. We were able to take it out. We had one person live with an intrepid and just zoom off the board. I think I died turn three, but the Excelsior made it there. Yeah, you you went down in a in a blaze of glory. The excellence, I think it was, right? The excellence. Yes, it is. USS excellence. Yep. <laughs> you went down in a blaze of glory. So what of the yeah, six missions, what one what one did you what one did you guys enjoy the most? So per I, I can't speak for anybody else here. Personally I really like the uh the little uh, the shuttle mission where you're saving the little runabout. I thought that was really fun. It felt super thematic for uh, the Dominion War because everybody in DS9, DS9, I think every other episode is taking a runabout out, then they're getting attacked by the bugs. So seeing that as a mission felt really good. And then my second favorite is probably the last mission because it got super hard. It felt really rewarding getting to this point where you had to fight four weapons platforms. You were trying to not get shot the whole time, which was really hard. But I thought the game at the end of the day was great. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Alliance. I'm pushing it to everyone I talk to. And you guys awesome. had that, the game that you guys played had the bug that ignored shield, if I remember. Was yes. that the game? Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and me. you guys decided to take that one out first. You went right for that one. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he killed us one game, and then we had to go for revenge. Yeah. Yeah, the aces are pretty easy. You went right after. We went, uh, yeah, we're waiting to get another round of games going. We'll just play all aces against us. <laughs> wow. That might give you the challenge <laughs> you're looking for. No, we're just masochists. We just want to take it. Uh, I'll, I'll give you another little hard mode tip there. Uh, spawn an elite enemy but give it two different elite cards um, for the same Ooh. ship. So you have two powers in okay. Those start to get out of Uh-oh. control really quickly. There we go. Okay. Now, Eric, did you guys play, I, I, I don't remember, did you guys play a six-player game with using everything? How many players were the most that you had on the table at any one given time? So... The most we had was in our last game. Our friend David showed up, and he didn't get. He's been uh, on and off coming to the shop recently, so he saw us playing. I'm like, "Hey, you want to play before the game starts?" There are rules for someone just to jump into the campaign, which is really nice. So we had four players on our last mission. It. I thought the last mission didn't. It didn't make it easier having four players, which was really nice. But we <laughs> no, mostly had not. three to four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the game scales going up. Um, from from what I played and how I read the book, it seems like it scales appropriately, but we haven't had full six players yet. Now, there's also rules in the book where you can use different ships. I was watching some of your games, and I saw one where somebody had an Intrepid, um, somebody had a Grissom, um, there was a Nova class. I saw different classes yep. of ships being used in in some of the games I was watching. So how how would a player go about getting one of those ships into the game? You just jump in and use it? So it's all based on your captain skill, and once you hit a certain captain skill, you're able to use the next ship. It's all in the book, the chart. So Steven decided to test that out by just increasing his captain skill for most of the game just to keep playing different ships. I think he only played the same ship twice, which I think he played two Nova classes back-to-back, then jumped into the Defiant, then jumped into the Intrepid. 
And you I, you can go all the way up to the Enterprise E to the Sovereign class, if, if I remember correctly, right? Yes, it's the last. It's that and the Intrepid. I think are the last two you can use because they would be the two most advanced Prometheus. ships at that point. Prometheus, yes, yeah. Prometheus. Yeah, because that was made during the oh, Dominion the- War. So those are the two highest grade ships. Yeah, Intrepid, Galaxy, Nebula at Captain Skill Five, Prometheus, Sovereign at eight. Uh, I will. I will tell you though, there is no way to earn enough experience points during a single playthrough of the current campaign box to get a sovereign class ship. That is entirely there for future proofing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that right away when these when this set came out that there were some things that were simply not achievable within this set, which to me was 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 great because it told me that you already were thinking about the future. Oh yeah, like I said, we pitched it as a trilogy, so I would I would love to be able to actually do that, because the goal would Jeff, be, in that case, to be able to play the one captain for three boxes worth of content, right? Mm-hmm. Do sixteen missions yeah, with one cool. captain, not six or whatever. Oof, that'd be super cool. Did you do all of the graphic design, Josh, uh, for both the the books as well, the rule book and the campaign book? Yes. Okay. Um, I just want to give you some kudos because uh, I will tell you that I think the rules book is pretty darn clear, pretty easy to follow along. Um, I really like the way things are laid out. There's there's a lot of words. I'm not going to lie. If you're a person who has not played Attack Wing before and you grab this book, you might kind of get a little daunted at first. But if you just simply step through it and just read the words that are on the page, I think they're written very clearly and even for somebody who has no idea what they're doing it's relatively easy to just to just follow along and play this for the first time and i like the idea that the the campaign book is actually separate too that sort of gives me you know okay here's my main resource for how i play the game here's my main resource for how i actually play this campaign along the way it's it's funny you mentioned that so i i will uh defer some responsibility for the rule book to the I'm not even sure who did the layout for the Federation versus Klingon starter, but very large portions of, of text from that document and even some of the formatting um, came from that two-player starter because that was the most recent core game rulebook for Attack Wing, and I had no interest in trying to rewrite or reinvent the wheel because I generally actually thought it was a pretty good rulebook even for that starter set. But the real challenge was integrating all of the stuff for the AI in a way that was like, okay, let's make it clear which rules are for which because you don't play by quite the same rules as the the automated opponents do. So kind of uh, just a lot of like really um, kind of really meticulous like typesetting and margins and detailing and stuff like that. And I think working at it really carefully at the micro level kind of blew up to the size of the book where it all laid out really nicely. Yeah, I like the fact that things that are related to the good guys, I'll say your ships, the Federation ships, are are highlighted with kind of a yellow banner, and then things that are related to the AI ships, the bad guys, are in a red banner. That's just one example of, I think, some wayfinding that we find um, throughout the book. So, yeah, I'll just say nice job on that. And it's and it's just beautiful. I mean, it's got, you know, nice pictures. I think the graphics uh, are easy to follow. I like the, especially the things that are a little more idiosyncratic. So, for example, uh, you know, these AI ships can't land on top of obstacles. 
So the rules book tells you, okay, if you're moving an AI ship and it's going to land on top of an obstacle, you have to do this, what do they say, veer maneuver? Is it veer? Yeah, you or swerve, or? yes. It's, it's, it's more like avoid best it. effort to avoid hitting an obstacle. If, if you try yeah. and, and swerve to avoid it and that still doesn't help you, you're going to do the original maneuver and just buckle down. That's right. And I think that that is kind of a cool, and there's a nice little graphic that sort of explains how that works. So um, anyway, just kudos on the rule book. I thought it was pretty easy to follow along. <laughs> I do most of our rule books at Lynn Vander Studios. So I've, I've done, this is probably my 15th rule book for like a published game somewhere in that range. Um, so I have quite a lot of experience specifically with game rule books. I think now you need to market a space mat that has the little four inch grid on it. Oh yeah. So that you can, <laughs> so that you can just look at your uh, deployment. Somebody, somebody know, mentioned that on board game geek. Actually, I saw someone posted yeah. something that was like that. It's a good idea. I know uh, I play in the tabletop simulator community um, through the Fremont, California guys, and somebody just uh, dropped a new map into tabletop simulator that does have that four inch grid on it. It makes it very easy to do later. Ah, convenient. Yep. Yeah. So I just got so used to doing cool. it with the range ruler when we were actually playing that it, it's just second nature for me. But the, the whole system of like showing it on a four inch grid in the mission book to make it really clear visually where each area is and what can go there. Um, I think it's a big help to just set up, right? Cause sometimes these scenarios are just, they're very cumbersome to set up and the game is so heavily based on geometry that I want to remove as much like variation and random chance from that as I could where appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say that, you know, just to be clear, this four-inch grid that I'm talking about, this is all measurable with the range ruler that's included in the pack. So, you know, nobody has mm-hmm. to go get a tape measure out or anything like that to to do any of this stuff. So if anybody's listening, um, you just simply take the range ruler, which is divided, uh, range one is about four inches, range two is about eight, uh, range three is about 12. So um, makes it layout, I think, pretty easy for your right. A lot of components. I mean, you have to look through, you have to Look at the chart, know where your ship's going that you're deploying. Um, but it's fairly easy to follow along, I think, especially with a lower number of players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not oh, very yeah. much setup if Definitely. you're just playing the two-player version. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, no, not at all. Not at all. So, Eric, I wanted to ask you about the Dominion faction pack. Yes, um, sir. You guys, you, you guys pre- uh, reviewed that, what, two days ago, three days ago? Yes, the video was shot Sunday, and I think I put it out Monday. Now, are those Dominion ships that you guys reviewed, are are those Dominion ships able to be used in the Dominion campaigns with Alliance? Uh, I don't believe so. The only things that you're able to use are the bugs with AI. I assume the AI would be different for them, but I'm not, I I don't think you're able to use them in any way. You could try to use the AI for other ships, but I think that's a personal thing that you have to test your playgroup before you feel if it's balanced or not. I can right. tell you right now, you probably don't want the bigger Dominion ships flying like bugs. Mm-hmm. That would be terrifying. It would be. Especially <laughs> that battleship. That would be. That definitely would be, for sure. So yeah, I would I be terrifying. I want to ask you, Eric... 
when you guys played attack wing using the alliance card, how did you find that they worked in attack wing versus how they work in alliance? So they're very aggressive in base attack wing. You'll see calculating on a lot of fleets because it's 1.2 points out of faction, giving your captain still 10. So if you just have two points left in your fleet, you're probably going to take it. Uh, battle harness is something else we used. If you have any multi-attackers that can get any battle stations for free, or if that's going to be the action you take, they're probably going to always use that ET on them. And then we use this great combo. My opponent, uh, Mr. Excelsior, he doesn't like going by his name, could have optimized it way more. If you bring four Excelsiors with the Texture Grid Science Officer, you're cutting <laughs> everyone's, everyone's uh, agility by three always. It's very <laughs> scary. A lot of these cards, I think you're going to see a relatively high competitive play. Oh, yeah, we were just having fun the whole time. And I'm a huge uh, Vidian fan from Voyager, so I use the Harvester Prime, and it's able to disable its shield to hurt someone else's shields. So there was a card that gives me plus two shields, so I have to use it. Which isn't faction-locked. Woohoo! Yes, it is not faction. Nothing in there is faction-locked, to my knowledge, which is good, because if, it is, if it's supposed to be a starter, nothing should just be locked to fed. It should be able to be played everywhere, just from basic game design. Yeah, and I'll say, you know, you've got, uh, Josh already mentioned the Federation Photon Torpedoes. Uh, you get two copies in this box. Um which is pretty awesome uh, because they are widely considered one of the better secondary weapons in the game, two points for perfect quality if you've got the right tokens next to your ship. The reinforced shielding card, I love that. It's plus two shields for only three SP, which if you're kind of going by the previous, um, you know, exchange rate, uh, that should be a four-point card. So uh, I, I look at it and I, I see a one-point discount, which is pretty cool. Um, there's some great cards here that let you uh, change, you know, white movers to, uh, maneuvers to green maneuvers. I personally yep. love the commander card. That is one of my favorite cards. Commander five point crew action. You get a battle stations and an evade. Boom. Done. Yeah, we actually use the commander uh, with uh, animated Kirk, so you can get all three tokens every turn. There you go. <laughs> yep. Yep. So some of these cards translate really nicely competitively into attack wing. Now, you know, you have to come up with your own rules, uh, like Eric was saying, based on your local um, uh, play group, uh, your local meta, which, which of these cards is legal, if every card is legal, because you can pretty easily build some uh, ships that are uh, just going to waste anything <laughs> in front of yeah. them. Uh, but, man, it sure is fun to have all of these new – 24 new cards uh, with only two of them, 22 fresh cards. Well, 20, 21, because I think there's a Quantum Torpedoes in here we've seen there before is. as well. But, yeah, other than that, basically 21 fresh new cards we've never seen before. There's a lot of variety there. Yeah, and, Eric, I noticed in the Vulcan pack you guys were talking about today, the Vulcans you scan a lot. Yes, they do. And I noticed that there's a couple of ways where you can convert scan into other tokens that don't go away at the end of the round that you get to keep, and you can have more than one type of the same token next to your ship at the same time. Did I hear that correctly? Yes. Yes. Uh, with the Takara and Sapal, you're mm -hmm. able to have yeah. – uh, we did a game today where we did Dominion versus uh, Cardassian, uh, Cardassians versus Vulcans, excuse me. And I shot our friend Josh McCann, the former United, the U.S. national champion. 
with, I think, five hits, and he had about seven scan tokens on one of his ships, and he said, the Paul says five of these are of age. <laughs> I looked down, and I was like, oh, oh. Again. Then you have her ancestor, uh, to, I forget her name, but she's able to span a stand at the end of the turn to get a battle station to the bay that don't go away. So she has a great action economy. But yeah, the Vulcans are very good. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> Five oh, of yeah. eight. Wow. And he's like, I don't have to roll this, but let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. So, guys, um, wow. Uh, time just flies right by, doesn't it? Um, I yes, want to say sir. congratulations to Joy for calling um, calling in and getting her hands on a USS Excelsior. I'll be dropping that in the mail to you. I'll try to get it out on Saturday, so thank you very much, and congratulations. Enjoy your new USS Excelsior expansion pack. I also want to say thank you to Josh Durkins for hanging out with us and talking about Star Trek Alliance the Dominion War campaign and sharing all of his thoughts and insights on game design and, and all your knowledge. Thank you very much, Josh. Pleasure to be on. And I also have to say thank you to Eric Sievers from Da Vinci's Watch. I actually reached out to Eric uh, thinking Eric was somebody else, but it all worked out in the long run anyways. And Eric, how can, uh, why don't you let the listeners know how they can find you if they want to watch all these videos that we've been talking about tonight. Thank you, Jim. You can find us at youtube.com slash Da Vinci's Watch. Please come like, comment, subscribe. We're trying to grow the channel. We're huge gamers where we are. We're just trying to bring a new positive light back to Star Trek exactly and everything Star Trek. And you guys can find the link. I just posted the link for the Vulcan expansion pack on our Facebook page, so you guys can check that out. It's also on our Star Trek Attack Wing page. So you can go over there and you can watch the video that Eric just did um, for the Vulcan faction pack. Uh, I didn't put up the one for the Dominion yet, but I, I'll try to add that one a little bit later. Right now, the only one that's on there is the Vulcan pack because I wanted to talk about that on tonight's show. So I wanted to make sure you guys could watch it so you knew what we were talking about. So I'll get a link up for that to you guys as soon as the show ends. So thank you very much for hanging out with us tonight, Eric, and talking about your knowledge of Attack Wing and for sharing with us a little bit about the Klingon Blood Oath pack, which I'm very excited for. So thank you very much, Eric. Of course, Jim. I know you're a huge Klingon fan. Thank you for having me on, sir. Yeah, we'll have to do this again when we get some more faction packs coming out, maybe. Definitely. I'm always looking for anything, sir. Yeah, and, and you got your computer working now, so next time we'll, we should be able to get, to get you on right away. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty easy once you figure it out. And, of course, I want to let you guys know that um, next week we're going to be talking about Star Trek Voyager. We're going to be talking about, in particular, Caretaker um, versus Endgame. And uh, what did you guys think about the beginning of Voyager versus the end of Voyager? So that's going to be a lot of fun. And we're also going to have our Star Trek news, Star Trek birthdays, and go around the globe with our fan shout-out. Same bat time, same bat channel, next week, 7.30. Don't forget to change your clocks, spring ahead, fall back, so you're going to want to spring ahead because you don't want to miss Sunday's show of Sun Trucks with myself and the Leslie Hoffman. We're going to be talking about 
sexism in Star Trek Part Two. And uh, let's see, we're up to dis- yeah, we're up to Discovery now. So you guys want to tune in for that on Sunday night at 7 p.m. with myself and Leslie Hoffman. And I also I can't say good night without saying thank you to my Trek expert. So thank you very much to Eric for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Eric, thank you so much. Uh, you better believe it. I had so much fun. Thank you so much, both Josh and Eric. It was so great to have both of you guys. I love Attack Wing, and it was a real treat to have this whole group be able to talk about Attack Wing for most of the show. Woo-hoo. Yeah, uh, we we did it. We got it all in there. <laughs> we did it. And also, <laughs> we did it. We We always seem to do it, which is great. And also, I couldn't be doing the show without my right-hand man, Eric. I'm not Eric. Charles, I'm sorry. Charles, so thank you very much for hanging out with us tonight, Charles, and for Trek talking with us. Oh, I'm glad to hear we're getting life back into a tackling. Oh, absolutely. It's been so missed. I'm so glad to see it back. And hopefully we we picked up some new players. Hopefully when Joy gets her hands on the USX Excelsior, um, she'll reach out and get her hands on a copy of Alliance, and maybe we can get her to to uh, make the trek down to Freakopolis Geekery in Whitehall, and we can get some ships on the table and get her to play the game. Who knows? We'll see what happens. But in the meantime, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and I want to say thank you very much to each and every one of you guys listening around the globe, wherever you might be, whether you're listening to us live right now or whether you're listening to us on a podcast platform at a later date. We really appreciate your support. And please head on over to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Tell us where you're from, and uh, we'll get you in our fan shout-outs for next week, and uh, you will never miss a show. You can also follow us on Blog Talk Radio um, at Trek Talking, and you can give us a like and a follow there, and that way you'll get email alerts whenever we schedule a new podcast, so you'll never miss a show. So with that, all of our time is up for tonight. I want to say thank you to everybody who joined us tonight. Thank you to all my hosts. Thank you to my guests. And everybody, please stay safe and be good to each other. Good night, everybody. Good night, y'all. Hailing frequencies are closed. Let's see what's out there. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.